Well, amen. Thank you, band. Awesome, awesome job. Man, we got some talented folks, amen? Glad to see them using those gifts uh, in obedience to the Lord. And so uh, I know I know. Every, every week, you know, it just seems remiss not to, to acknowledge just how they, they usher us into the throne room. So, uh, man, I know what you're thinking, all right? Now, I have, I have thought this, thought this out, and I, I just didn't know what part of the service, Ms. Brenda, would be appropriate to handle something of this grandeur. Because when you ask people to wear ugly Christmas sweaters... And then you walk up here and you have the ugliest trophy I've ever seen, which was by design. By the way, you get really weird conversations when you call a place that makes trophies as a profession and you basically say, screw it up. Like, as, as tacky as you can go, that's what we want. So we got some flames and then we got a little picture of a tacky sweater here at the top. Uh, and so I just figured now would be a perfect time so that we all know who has the tackiest sweater of us all. Now, we gave one last service. Uh, this is, we may have some stragglers that are still trying to win from last service. Uh, they may have come back just to try to enter again. Um, but it doesn't work that way, okay? But we have the award today, and I think I can state pretty clearly the tackiest of sweaters champion. And Lindsay Lane Noor for 2021 in the nine in the 10:30 service is Mallory and Haven. Now I picked them mostly because I want y'all to see y'all like how you y'all are moving together as a team very well. This is really nice. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Every, now I don't know how you're going to share that trophy, um, uh, but. It's yours to share with, however, and we actually do have a gift card for you. So, uh, <laughs> well, that, that doesn't work. It ruins the effect. Um, awesome. Y'all look, y'all look great. Y'all look great. I want to get a picture with y'all after service, though. So, thank y'all. Y'all give them a hand. Very well done. Very well done. I know that will, that is a very important piece of hardware that will go in cherished places in your home. So, thank you for all of your efforts. <laughs> You know, when I say y'all look great in your tacky sweaters, I think everybody really understands what I'm saying. Y'all have done a great job making yourself look awful, right? Like, when we look at our Christmas sweaters, we think, yeah, that looks really bad. Let's go for it, right? Like, it's the only thing, and here I think is why. Everybody, and y'all, I have a picture. All right, and I hate that I have not been able to deliver it, but I also am glad that I have not been able to deliver it, which means that is gone for blackmail forever. So I don't have to worry about it. I have a picture of the worst sweater I've ever seen. I would have beaten y'all if I'd have worn it. Uh, I, my parents put me in a sweater, a Shonuff sweater that had a chimney and a ladder with Santa Claus on it, which I would remind you is not how Santa goes down the chimney. But that's what, the, what it had on it. And I was going to show that to you. Couldn't find it. So apparently I have completely eradicated that from my life. Finally. But I think about sweaters. And I think every one of us knows what it's like. Right? To 
have to go to a Christmas picture or Lord, you know, take, you know, come Lord Jesus quickly when it's picture day at school, right? And your moms get wind of it and they pack you in the itchiest sweater that you have ever been in in your life, like right off of a sheep's behind onto your behind, right? Like onto your back. And it is nasty. And the worst part about school pictures is you're in that bad boy all day, right? So you've got Cheetos on it. You've got like some of your chocolate milk is accumulated. And it's itching you all day long. And I'm just here to tell you, a sweater has a way of scarring a kid. It just does. Like, I can remember the times that I had to wear those sweaters, and I'd be hot, and I'd hate it. Sweaters have come a long way, but I can remember those days and think, man, that was really awful. And I think it's impacted this generation so much that we've decided to celebrate how awful they are, right? We have now created ugly sweater days at church where we can all get together and be like, do you remember how awful it was when our mamas and our daddies made us dress like fools in, in our pictures, right? So we can get an Owen Mills shot, right? Where they can snap the picture before they actually get to three, right? Like all of that work and then, all right, smile. You get that half smile, right? All of us have experienced that, right? So much so that we've built a, a holiday around it. When I started thinking about this clothed series, I started thinking about how best to articulate what it is that Christ does for us. All of us understand what it's like to celebrate something that in our minds and in our childhood was repulsive. We celebrate that, we laugh about that, and we apparently knit shirts together where we have to be a, together all day like that. I don't know how that works out later, um, but like that's what we do, right? Now think about what Christ has offered us. Two weeks ago, we talked about how Christ offers us rags to robes, right? That we have gone from the best that we have is worth filthy rags. The, our righteous acts in our flesh are filthy rags in light of what Christ has exchange, can exchange for us. Not our merit purchased by his substitute. And so he gives us his robes. The, the whole thought last week of the wedding feast is who in the world would not come to Christ, not come to God on his terms because God has provided everything that we need. In the way that the host would have provided wedding garments, God has provided all that we need. What crazy person wouldn't wear those robes and get in on this party? I believe the reality is we see that there's another nuance to this idea of how we are clothed. You see, the eternal perspective is one of rags to robes. My filthiness exchanged for Christ's righteousness. But to the world, they see a very different perspective. To the world's perspective, and for those of us that are laden down in things of the world, it doesn't look like a promotion. The robes that we receive doesn't look like a step up. In fact, it looks like a demotion. And so today we're going to talk about in our last message on the clothed series, not rags to robes, 
but robes to rags. What we find, the posture that we adopt from our Savior was one of servitude. Was one of being a servant. Do you know the word that he used? The word that he used in the Greek was a doulos. It was a slave. And so let the magnitude of that word seep in that Jesus said, the greatest among you are a slave. That doesn't look like a promotion in this world. If we are to don the garments of a slave, it looks like a demotion rather than a premotion. And so when we look at the world, how do we reconcile? When the world looks at us, how do we reconcile this idea? How do we reconcile the idea that God has called us to clothe ourselves? And though the clothing from an eternal perspective is a good thing, it requires us to swallow our own pride. And I believe we see that. In the example of Jesus, in truth, the garments that he requires of us from a physical, worldly perspective seem as awful, right? As the sweaters we're wearing today, y'all talk about object lessons that I have. I literally told you to wear one, right? These sweaters are an object lesson of something that would remind us of awful things, right? But we celebrate it because of what it is has done in us, right? And, and in the same way, Christ, though, he tells us to adopt a posture of one that may immediately, in the short term, be repulsive and may seem off-putting to us, may seem, dare we say, tacky. Christ is doing something all along. And I believe we see that modeled in Christ. The posture that Christians are called to take appears to be one of demotion, not promotion. But in effect... We are donning the same garments that Christ would wear in his earthly ministry. Let me explain what I mean. Number one, swaddling clothes are strange garments for a king. Swaddling clothes are a strange garment for a king. As you read in history, there are many elaborate gestures that have been made when new life is coming into the world. And when the new life that is coming into this world is born from a family of affluence, that celebration typically looks accordingly, right? So a noble birth is met with a noble-sized shindig. It is met with a noble party. There is money spent, there are preparations made, and there is no expense shared, uh, spared in order to celebrate this child. Right? We understand that. I understand. I can remember the preparations. Not that we had affluence, but I can remember the preparation that we made when we found out we were having Cooper. Surprise, but we were, we were excited about it, and we were having Cooper. And I remember my wife beginning to nest and make preparations, right? And, and, and the more money, the more people got involved, the bigger the, shind the shindig got, the bigger the preparation got, the more extravagant it got. And for a king, if I was announcing the coming of a future king, you better believe I'd have done it a little differently than Jesus. I'd have done it 
a little bit differently. Turning your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, you probably knew we were coming here at some point. This is the birth narrative of Christ, the nativity story. We celebrate today, we celebrate this season, the coming of the Christ child. But he came in very different circumstances than we would expect. Luke is writing. Luke was not a direct disciple of Jesus. He was a second generation disciple. He had interviewed these people, but he was, as a doctor would, detailed oriented, and he was accumulating data. His data that he was accumulating was in making an argument. The argument that he was making is that Jesus was the son of man. He was describing Jesus in his humanity. He was all man. He was all God, but he was all man. And so Luke emphasizes the humanity of Christ. So it makes sense that the greatest detail that we have of Christ's birth, physical birth, is found in Luke chapter 2. But beginning in verse 4, we're going to read about this these swaddling garments, this preparation for this king. Listen to what it says in verse 4. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in A manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. I have mentioned this from time to time. When we read scripture in our 2021 perspective, we miss a great impact of God's word in our life. We need to put ourselves in the situation that Joseph and Mary found themselves in. You see, the idea of nativity that we have is a cute couple, desperately, hopelessly in love, who are centered around the perfectly clean and well-kept Christ child. There's even a twinkling star and an angel standing nearby and light shining throughout, right? Oh, we have these nativities in our home, do we not? We sing songs about the nativity that honestly we don't have any idea about. We sing Silent Night, all is calm, all is bright. I don't know how many infants you've been around. I've been around three extensively. There's not a whole lot of calm. Love you, Cooper, but it's not there. Right? I'll let you know when there's calm. It's still not happened at my house yet. Right? All is calm. All is bright. Well, when we understand that Jesus wasn't born in a stable, he was probably born in a cave where they kept animals in that day. Caves aren't necessarily known for their lighting. Right? All is calm. All is bright. May not actually equate to exactly what we see here. Sleeping in heavenly peace may or may not have happened for Joseph. I don't know many parents of newborns that say that they are just sprightly all the time because their kid sleeps like a champ. 
right? We don't know anything about this. If I didn't know anything other than what Mary had been through, I would, have, I would assume in my mind, if I'm Joseph, that things were anything but peaceful. I'll give you an example. Hey, Beck, listen. I know you're ready to give birth at any time. But we got to travel. We're in Nazareth. I got, I got to go to Bethlehem. You got to come with me. Our mode of transportation is not a minivan as every mother should be riding in, right? It is a donkey. And we're going to get on this noble steed and we're going to trot for 90 miles with your pregnancy, you at full term. And then they get there. 90 miles, people. Kid bearing down. I'm sorry, sir. There's no room at our end. Now, Mary was chosen by God. And I recognize that God has chosen my bride for me. But heavenly peace would not describe that moment, church. I told you, Alan, to leave earlier because I'm pregnant. I told you about the bathroom breaks. I told you not to try to travel with Jim and Sue because they're going to go faster than us. I tried to tell you. I tried to warn you. Now we're here. I'm going to give birth in a barn. Fool. Can you imagine? Right? Come on, guys. Let's not romanticize this, the, the humanity out of this. Jesus intervened and stepped down into time, space, history, but he used a lot of flawed humans to do it. And he did it in very peculiar ways. We see of Mary that she has the baby. She wraps him, cares for him, wraps him in swaddling clothes, which would have been fairly consistent with the times. Most Children would have done that, however, if preparations had been made. Um, more than likely, there would be nicer garments. Think about it. For a king, how nice of the swaddling garments that would be used, the strips of cloth that would be used to provide ultimate comfort, ultimate warmth for the king, the future king. He'd receive the greatest treatment. Now, what we see Mary and Joseph doing is using a makeshift nursery, surrounded by animals, and more than likely using whatever was around to patchwork together something that would pacify this small child. And let us not forget, we are not just welcoming a future king. We are welcoming the eternal king. The king of kings. And the Lord of lords. Chose to step in history. Like that. Swaddling clothes make a very tacky garment. 
for a king. And yet the son of God would step down from eternity as the herald of heaven. He would step down as the the chosen one would step down from the prestige of heaven and not come as we might intend, but he came as a servant, bearing the garb that a servant would bear in his life. This would set the tone for his entire life. Jesus took the posture of a humble servant. Of all people to ever grace this earth, if there was anyone that deserved a claim, that deserved pride, that deserved glory, it was Jesus. And at every turn, he forsook it. That seems tacky to us, but that's exactly what Christ, God called Christ to do. And what he calls us to do as well. But I don't believe that's all we see here. And allow me to take some liberties at the danger of eisegesis and putting into the text. I want want you to understand what I, I studied this week. Scholars believe, and they're quite consistent, that Bethlehem being five and a half miles from Jerusalem would have meant that there is a very, very good chance, like a very strong chance, like better than half, like 75, 80, 90 percent chance that given their proximity to Jerusalem, the flocks that would have been being kept that night by the shepherds would have been flocks that would provide the sacrificial lambs for the Passover. God demanded that every family offer a lamb, a spotless male without blemish. The spotless lamb would be offered, would be bought, more than likely they would be bought in Jerusalem, taken back to the home, sat there for seven days, letting the kids get attached to it, letting it become like a pet. And then the family would take it and they would take it to the temple so that there's some emotional connection to it. They would take it to the temple. It would be sacrificed there and the sin of that family would be covered. At this time, tens of thousands of males without blemish, lambs that were males without blemish would have been required in order to meet the needs of the Jewish people. And so a great number of sheep, of flocks of sheep were required. These shepherds were more than likely Levite. They didn't have any land. They didn't have any place to stay, but they were watching over. This was temple worship. These lambs were intended for temple worship. And what did the angel say? Bailey read it just a moment ago. This will be a sign to you. You'll find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. When a mother you was about to give birth, uh, tradition, tradition holds, scholars tell us, that they would take the you into a cave. A single cave. It was known as the birthing cave. And they there that you would give birth. If it was a female, then it would be removed. It would be allowed to live, obviously. It would function as one that would provide lambs later. Or it could be used in, in another temple sacrifice. 
It wasn't just Passover, sin offerings. But if a male was born, they would take strips of cloth, the exact same verbiage that Mary would use to wrap baby Jesus. They would bind the small lamb's legs, and guess where they would place it? In a hewed out place in a rock, not a wooden structure, known as a manger. The manger would be clean. The manger would be kept in really good shape, so it would make a pretty effective place for the shepherd to then inspect the lamb. The lamb was bound so that it couldn't move, it couldn't harm itself while it was on the rock, while it was on the, in the manger. They would be inspected, and once it was found without blemish, it would be placed to the side in order to be made for one day to be a sacrificial Passover lamb. This will be a sign to you. Now, we are conjecturing here. And it is possible that God could have intended for them to go to every cave of every livestock in all the region of Bethlehem before they found this child in this particular manger? Or does it make a little more sense that he would talk to people that knew exactly where to go? Where do we find swaddling cloth? Where do we find a clean manger? We find it in this stable, this birthing cave, that they would go to the very place that they had daily set aside to make way for the Passover lambs to come about. And while they were working to present their own lambs, they would go to a cave one night and see a child wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying, the same clothing lying in a manger. Scholars believe that this is prophecy, that as man would try to provide their Passover lambs, Jesus would offer to these shepherds his Passover lamb. You know how the shepherds left? Rejoicing and praising God. You know why? Their job was coming to a close. The perfect lamb who would take the sins of the world had come. And so in his life, Jesus took the posture of a humble servant. Mark 10, 45, I taught the kids this and priority kids this week. Even, for even the Son of Man came not to serve, but to, or came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This was in the DNA of who Jesus was. The Passover lamb provided by God. How did John the Baptist, who would have had intimate understanding, a very close understanding of who Jesus was, how did John identify Jesus? Hey, y'all, behold the lamb who takes away the sins of the world. This is what we see in Scripture. And though this 
may not be here, I believe we can certainly see the validity of it. That this is a sign to you. This is more than just a child. This is more than just a kid in swaddling clothes. This is more than just a kid in swaddling clothes in a weird spot. This is my Passover lamb. Secondly, burial clothes are strange garments for a God. You see, Jesus didn't shy away in his life of professing oneness with the Father. In fact, he would tell the religious rulers, I and the Father are one. If you're looking for God with skin on, ta-da! See, the healings and the teachings and all of these things, they're only going to serve, as we've talked about before, to grow that fandom, right? People are going to be big fans if you start feeding them fish and chips every time you get together, right? They're going to be big fans. But Jesus didn't just do that. He claimed unity with God. He claimed, from all perspectives, he claimed connection with God, even for the Roman who would believe in many gods, he was at least claiming to be a God. In order to be a God, you have to meet a certain criteria, and that is you are eternal. You live forever. Do we see the problem with the burial clothing? A God that is to live together to forever has no business being in dead man's clothing. But let's read in John chapter 19. See, John's not writing to prove the humanity of Christ. He's, proven to, he's writing to prove the deity of Christ. He's writing to all people telling them that Jesus is the Son of God. And in that, there is a deep theology in the book of John that we don't see in the other gospels. There is a deep theology and there is a detail that we see that we don't see in the other gospels. But listen to John's recollection of the burial of Christ. Christ has come. He has died for sin he has died, the storm has happened, the veil has been torn, all things we read about, the boundary between God and man had been spanned, the boundary between death and life had been spanned for us, and listen to his burial, starting in verse 40, John 19 verse 40, so they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths. With the spices, as was the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had been laid. We're not given a whole lot of detail here. In fact, other gospel writers give us more. This man who did this, who asked this, was Joseph of Arimathea. He didn't come alone. He came with Nicodemus. Both of them being down low followers of Jesus. Now they were men that had great affluence and great impact in the Jewish world. But they were followers of Jesus. 
at least at some level, they recognized who the Messiah was, that Jesus as Messiah. And so, at great expense to Joseph of Arimathea, who would have had great amounts of money, he had purchased a tomb, more than likely for his family. So for him and all of his descendants, he had set it aside for that to be where you lay us to rest, as was the custom of the rich Jewish people. But having purchased a new tomb, and in light of the death of Christ, he came and he asked Pilate to have Christ's body. To have Jesus' body, he and Nicodemus would prepare it, he would wrap it in linens. This is not the same word as swaddling cloth. This word literally means fine garments. He was wrapped and he was ready, he was prepared as a rich Jewish man. This also fulfills scripture. Isaiah 53, 9. You can go and look at it. Uh, it, say, it foretells that Christ would be buried amongst the rich. Amongst the rich and affluent. Though he had nothing physically in life, he would be buried among the rich. Right? Meeting this criteria for him. But he was laid to rest in a borrowed tomb. In a loaned-out tomb, the Savior of the world was wrapped and he was laid. And my friend, don't let anyone convince you otherwise, Jesus was physically dead. That is tacky. Can you imagine how dumb the disciples felt? This man that I have spent three and a half uninterrupted years with, in many cases, some of them leaving their families all behind. Has claimed to be the Christ and we followed him as such. But the Christ, if you're to be God, what are you doing dead? We are sunk. The idea of Jesus being in burial garments would have pronounced condemnation on everything they had done to this point in following Christ. Jesus donning these burial garments would have been an unbelievable triumph for his enemies. This man that said that he was before Abraham was I am. This man that had the gall to say that, that he was greater than David and Abraham and Moses and all of these fathers, finally is in burial garments. He is Y'all, that's tacky. For Jewish culture, it's tacky because the Messiah was to be a military hero. He was to lead the nation of Israel as its king. He was to be the king of Israel, which meant Rome had to go. Rome would not have been okay with, hey, they've got a king and then we've got Caesar over here, right? So Caesar's got to go. The, the, the Messiah would be a military hero that would completely deliver Israel from their captivity. And then he would set up his physical reign with the Israelites forever and ever and ever and ever. But Jesus didn't come in that package. Jesus took the role of a servant, and he died. But in his death, even there, there is salvation. Turn to John chapter 20. 
Again, John, speaking of the death that Jesus would die, would give insight into what happened. As soon as they receive word that Jesus' body is no longer there. My favorite question to ask a, a child as they are making a decision for Christ and parents are helping me, I'm helping them navigate if the child's ready to receive Christ. One of my favorite open-ended questions to ask them is, why did Jesus die? Why did he die? Most of us in this room know that answer. He, why did he have to die? He had to die because of my sin. He had to don the role of the ultimate servant and the price of sin had to be paid. Otherwise, my sin debt remains. It is why Jesus would yell out in his final breaths to tell us, it is finished. Paid in full, the price of sin has been paid. He served us in that way. But that's not where the story's left. Look at verse 6 of John 20. Then Simon Peter came, following him, him being John, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloth lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. And then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, this being John, apparently, apparently John was a little quicker, a little fleeter of foot, but Peter... When he held up, Peter ran on in, right? I don't care. I got to see for myself. They had been told by the women that Jesus' body was not there. And they had to see for themselves. So then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw. And there's an interesting thing here. He saw and he believed. John saw who is writing about the deity of Christ and that Christ is the Son of God, saw and he believed. What did he believe? You see, you arrive at an empty grave, there is one of two options. If that grave has been filled before, there's one of two options. Either one, somebody moved the body, or two, the body moved itself. So either somebody took Jesus and moved Jesus, or Jesus moved himself. What does the removal of a body, the robbing of a tomb look like? It looks like a fast process. It looks like as quick as we can do, minimal motion, let's get it done. And by the way, that happened a lot in Jesus' day. The, the removal, the robbery of a body and holding it for ransom and some of the things that they did, that, that happened in Jesus' day. And so it would look hastily, it looked like a crime scene, it looked like things that happened fast. The, 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 the garments would be strewn all over the place, the body would be gone. But there's a note in John that we don't see in any other gospel. And it's about that little hanky, that little face covering. The face covering was folded and in place. Now, as we read in scholars what they believe, the reason why John included this in his 
gospel is that for John, this was definitive proof that Jesus' body was not taken. It didn't matter what the Jews, the lies the Jews had accumulated to tell the Romans. It didn't matter what the Romans posted as what happened to Jesus. His disciples took him. We don't know where they took him. We just know that he took him. That is the record. That's what the record shows is his body's not there. He's been taken. But the folded hanky, the folded napkin was proof, proof positive to John that Jesus had gotten up himself. Jesus was now in his resurrected body and all that he had promised had been achieved. You see, he told his disciples as much. Matthew 16, verse 21, he told them, I will die and I will be raised in three days. He told him again, Mark chapter 8, 31, I will die and I will be raised. He alludes to it other places, but there he definitively tells his disciples, this is going to happen. And John just didn't know he had been he had, he had experienced the great loss. He had seen Jesus don the burial garments. But it was like God spoke right to him. John, you see that headpiece right there? If robbers would have come and done this, if somebody else would have moved Jesus' body, it'd be in a heap with everything else. But he is raised to life. Grace specifically for a man that didn't deserve it, that had lost all hope, but he experienced the resurrected Christ before the resurrected, resurrected Christ. He experienced it there, the truth that he was risen. And in his resurrection... Jesus didn't take the posture of a servant any longer. In his resurrection, Jesus took the posture of a heroic Savior. He had defeated death, hell, and the grave. And there was belief instantaneously for John. Church, the Bible tells us the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. What we've earned in the rags that we wear. The righteous acts that we try or try not to accomplish. What we've earned for that is death. But Jesus in donning the garments of a perfect servant. Came to this world in humility. Lived a life of self-sacrifice. Became our suffering servant in Isaiah 53. Bled and died on a sinner's cross. He had to die for my sin and for your sin. But he was raised. He left behind those clothes. And we have victory through him. If you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Christ, what I said last week speaks doubly today. He has provided everything that you need if you would come to him. What he requires in return and requires from all of us is his church. Though our pride can get in the way and mess things up sometimes, he requires that we come to him in humble submission. 
that we come to him on his terms, that we adopt the clothing, the posture that he takes. If he is to clothe us, it will look to this world like a demotion. It will look to this world like we live for the purposes of somebody outside of ourself. But in doing that, we found life. Today, this opportunity, you have the ability to respond to the grace of God that he has offered you. There are some in this room, I believe, that maybe today for the first time are willing to put their full faith and confidence in Christ. As John did, seeing the head covering, God offers grace for you today. If you would respond in obedience. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? The message today is twofold. One is, can we get over ourselves for long enough to surrender our life to a God who has given all to us, who has provided everything that we need. And if you're here today and you don't have that relationship with Jesus, you are the most important person in this room. Do not leave this Christmas season. What makes the gift of Jesus a gift is not what was accomplished on the manger, but what was accomplished in the empty tomb. He did it. He proved who he was. 400 plus witnesses gave testimony and died consistent in the testimony that Christ has been raised. And that truth has been changing lives ever since. But if we come to him, we come to him on his terms. We come to him in humble submission, holding nothing back, keeping nothing from him, we respond in obedience. So if you're here and you need to make that decision today, I'm here with love to talk to you about how you can know that you have a relationship with Christ. Our counselors would love to talk to you about that very thing. Please don't leave today. Don't leave these four walls without doing business with the Lord. The second part of the invitation is we as the church... We are to don those rags. We are to place ourselves under others. We are to seek the betterment of others ahead of ourselves so that they may see a mirror image of what we see in Jesus. And it would jar them and shake them to repentance. There's something different about them that's different. Than, than is about me. They're not the same as me. But sadly, we for, as a church have begun to look so much like the world that there's really not a discernible difference between the two of us. May it not be so. May it not be so of this gathering. And so maybe you need to come and maybe you just need to realign some things, surrender some things to Jesus. Come and find a place at this altar, but just be obedient to the Lord today. Whatever a response looks like to you, the Holy Spirit's already laid it on your heart. I would just ask you to respond to that. Father, 
We love you and we are motivated by our love for you and we are thankful for you initiating love toward us. While we were still sinners, Christ, you died for us. So Lord, this Christmas season, Lord, may we respond in obedience to you as we celebrate your son's coming to this world as a servant to leave as a savior. So Lord, we thank you for what you're going to do in this place. Let us respond to you and your invitation. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Would you stand to your feet? As we sing, would you come?